Hello and welcome to the Performance Car Podcast. My name is Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. And I'm Dylan Campbell, Editor of Motor Magazine. And in the back recording this, we've got Josh Robinson. Hello. Before we get into today's topic, a quick word about our new issue. On sale now, featuring 30 years of HSV on the cover. You can find that as a print mag or online in a digital format for iPad, etc. So, today we're in an Audi SQ7, which is Audi's new performance flagship of the Q7 range. It's powered by a 4-litre twin-turbo V8 diesel engine, producing 320 kilowatts and 900 newton metres. It weighs almost 2.3 tonnes, but despite that, it can still hit 100 k's an hour in 4.8 seconds. This one we're sitting in is $177,616, thanks to a smattering of options. We've got metallic paint, LED headlights, 21-inch wheels, which don't look that big on this car, actually. Uh, we've got leather and a dynamic package, which brings a sport differential, all-wheel steering, and the clever active anti-roll bars. So, all very important on a performance SUV. And that brings us to our t- topic today of performance SUVs. We're going to be talking a bit about the whole concept. Is it a good idea? Which cars we like, which cars we don't? So, Dylan, I'll bring you in at this point. The performance SUV, is it... What do you think of the concept? You know, there's a, it's, the, it's the go-to car now. You've got to have one in your range. So, what do you think of the whole fast people... Yeah, I suppose initially when the whole performance SUV thing started taking off, it was a little bit offensive to people like us. It was this thing that was like a bit of an imposter um, niche, I suppose, um, where someone just got a got an SUV, like this big hulking thing that its original purpose was to go off road. And now people, are, you know, now manufacturers are putting huge engines in them, giving them huge power outputs, and just put sort of putting sporting badges badges on them and calling them performance SUVs. So They're sort of custom designed to annoy <laughs> purists, aren't they? That's right. So initially, we were very sceptical about the performance SUV craze, um, but it is a craze because people are buying them. And uh, what's interesting is that they're they're getting better. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Funny you should say that because the original, I guess the original performance SUV was kind of the ML55 AMG. I think it was 1998 or something like that. And that was kind of just an off-roader, you know, a big four-wheel drive with a big engine in it, at mm. the 5.5 liter V8. But I guess. How we know them now as proper sports cars, almost, proper performance cars, was the Porsche Cayenne Turbo 2003, which was the first car to sort of say it could do it all. It could go off-road and it could also, you know, hoon around the Nürburgring if it needed to. And since then, we've it's gained popularity and everyone's, everyone is offering one. But why do you think, why do you think people are attracted to this sort of car? Because whoever brings one out, it's an instant hit. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, I suppose it's the whole compromise thing. Like you've only got one spot in the garage and you might want, for example, sake a, a C63 coupe, but you have a partner who does not want a C63 coupe. So you've got to sort of bargain with your partner, I suppose, on, a, on that car that'll fit in your one car garage. Uh, you want the practicality of an SUV or the, in theory, the practicality of an SUV, a big boot, you know, the high driving position, which you might personally not be very interested in, but your partner might be. Uh, but at the same time, you want an awesome noise. You want a lot of grunt. And if you're out on the skiing holiday, you want to be able to go up a twisty road and have your partner lean across to you and slap you on the wrist and say, <laughs> what are you? Slow down, you're going way too fast. We bought this car so you didn't <laughs> drive like that. That's right. <laughs> um, so, 
What, when did you first get introduced to the performance SUV concept? What was, the, what was one of the first ones you drove, can you remember? Yeah, the X5M, the um, previous generation X5M okay, so the was, a, one, yep. was the first performance SUV I drove. I just remember it feeling enormous. It was this big, burly, heavy car. It felt physically enormous as you drove it. Obviously, you sit, sat really high in it. It had enormous tyres on it. had an awesome amount of grunt. Um, and it just, it felt, it was a physical car to drive. And it just felt like too much. Like, too much weight, too much power, too much, too much rubber. It was a bit of a confused car. And I remember coming away thinking it's like a hot hatch that weighs twice as much as it should. So yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting car though because I remember one of my first exposure was when I went on a test with Motor. It was a five SUV test. We had a the BMW X5M, which was new at the time, the Range Rover Sport Supercharged V8, the Range Rover V8 Supercharged, mm. the Mercedes ML63 AMG, and the Audi Q7 V12 TDI, which I guess mm. was kind of the spiritual predecessor to this car even though it was even more insane mm. but the x5m like whopped them all like the uh, motor then took them to wakefield park which is was kind of strange seeing these mm. suvs lapping a racetrack yeah but the x5m was something crazy it was like four or five seconds faster than the next best car so it was interesting that that car kind of took the concept to the next level because you know, we both know you drive that car and it does kind of feel like a big Golf R. It's amazing that that car can be so capable. And for me, I guess that car is almost gets closest, along with maybe a Porsche Cayenne Turbo S, to providing the best of both worlds. Um, so I guess it moves on to what have you driven that you've liked, that you can see fitting into your you know, life as that do-everything performance car? Yeah, I suppose they're not all made equal performance SUVs. Like no, of all the perf- all. like all the performance niches, it's interesting. There's such a broad spectrum of talent in the performance SUV class. Some are pretty good for what they are. Some are completely terrible. Um, and for me, the I mean, it's still the BMW that stands out. It's um, it's got heaps of heaps of grunt. Like it's it's matured a lot and it's gotten a lot better over the years. But now, for me, like you were saying, it feels like a big, heavy hot hatch almost, Mm. and it still sort of does. You can go for a really fast drive in that car, and it's really satisfying. Like, it actually is quite quite good. So, I think that's the car that I'd park in the garage if if I had to have a performance SUV. And it's important to point out that I would prefer not to have one, but if I had to. It's one of the few few SUVs that has the diff set up to actually sort of power over steam, which is a very strange thing. Yes. to the engineers that created it must have been going why are we doing this why are we making this thing go sideways yes. but it does work um, for me though it's interesting that the X5M kind of fails because it is trying to be everything it mm. is a, a really good car it's very impressive in what it does it's very quick it's, it's a, it is a reasonable it a, does a good job of attempting to be a performance car but for me it's kind of gets to that jack of all trades master of none a bit if you take it for a fast drive it is impressive mm. but impressive in a way that like you know like like a golf r is it's not it's not suddenly a 911 or anything like that whereas and then as a as an suv it works quite well but for me it doesn't really sound that great i'm not a huge fan of that mm. engine for, so for me it's not the best by any means but i really like the mercedes amg gle 63 because it doesn't really handle at all which uh, you know, it's still an off-roader. <laughs> yeah. You know, you drive it, and the e- the ESP is going mad, and it's pitching and rolling and all over the place, and please, you know, basically going, please slow down. But it's still a beautiful SUV. It's got a great interior. It's got plenty of space. Mm. 
and it's got this rocket ship under the bonnet that makes an insane noise. So I figure that for where you're going to drive these cars, you know, doing the school run, driving them to work, maybe to the ski fields or something, you've basically got this normal, normal four-wheel drive that happens to go like a scalded cap and make it a great noise. So it's interesting for me that in one way, the more they try and make them the jack-of-all-trades, to me, they're almost a little bit less appealing. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's like a, a limit that you can reach with these cars. Mm. Like, it's an SUV. It's it's inherently a large car. If it's 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 got a higher like ride like ride height kind of thing, so it can go off road. Um, the the best performance SUV is still going to be compromised because it is an SUV. Mm. I mean, so, we take this car for an example. I mean, it's quick. It sounds good. It sounds amazingly good for a, for a diesel. Um, whether it's a real sound or not is you know, a point of conjecture, but, you know, it drives quite well, mm. it's reasonably comfortable, but you can never get away from its size and weight mm. in any sense, which is why the whole jack-of-all-trades thing kind of doesn't work, because it's enormous, so whenever you're parking it and using it as a car, mm. you're hamstrung because of the size, and even the ride quality, you can still feel the weight, and then obviously, in a performance sense, it's still 2.3 tonnes, mm. and it's going to, you know, it's got all this amazing technology under it, it's got this 48 volt one of the first cars to have a 48 volt electrical system so it can run this electric compressor on the engine to eliminate turbo lag it's got the clever active anti-roll bars that can eliminate you know body roll and try and keep it under but you can't you can't fight physics mm. and for me i suppose the ultimate version of that is the range rover sport svr which is again is a quite a good car but they came out with a big fuss about that car and that, you know, I did a crazy lap around the Nürburgring, I can't remember what it was, eight minutes something, eight mm. minutes 13, eight minutes eight or something, which is about the same as a Renault Megane. But you drive it and it's it's just not that impressive on the road. And then, I mean, I did a feature with it in Tasmania and while it was great, at no point did it really offer anything that, it, that a normal Range Rover Sport would have done which is kind of confusing. Like, it went off-road fine. Mm. It ran around corners pretty well, but so does a normal one. So we get to this point of these cars are sort of hopelessly compromised by physics in trying to be everything to everyone, but it still doesn't really solve the problem. It doesn't seem to matter because everyone wants to buy one. So I guess it doesn't matter what we want. What we think, it's, it's answering a question that the market has. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, isn't yeah. it? Like, they're selling lots of them. Um, and then a purist can jump up and down and go, this isn't right, just buy a wagon. And the thought of this engine in you know, like an A6 wagon that weighs 400, 500 kilos less, I mean, imagine that. It would be, it'd be a rocket ship. Yeah, it'd be baby, baby R6 pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's one of the, it's, I guess this is the perfect example of why the performance car market isn't necess- or the car buying market isn't necessarily rational because mm. on paper you'd buy a wagon because it's more, it's just as practical and it's... You know, it's, it's more fuel efficient and it's faster and it's better to drive. But how do you feel about the whole high driving position? That's what apparently sells these cars. That do you find that a do you find that a boon? Do you find that an advantage? Um, I mean, personally, I don't really mind too much. You know, how high I'm sitting. Sometimes you get out of like one of these cars where you're sitting quite high and you get into a lower car and you find yourself sort of craning your neck a little bit because you've been you've grown used to the high riding position. Yeah. But there are so many SUVs on the road these days that it's becoming like a thing that the high riding position is just the normal position now. Yeah, that's the that's a, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? If everybody, it's like if you built 
if you had the penthouse suite on a nine-storey apartment block, yeah, and then all these other nine-storey yeah. apartment blocks went up, <laughs> yeah, you've lost your view, you've lost your point. What's next? Everybody's going to be driving around and jacked up like Hiluxes and Hummers and stuff yeah. like that, like with three-meter-high driving positions. Yeah. So, what, what what always amuses me though is when we um, when you get in the car like a Porsche Macan is like this. They've made a real effort to get the driving position as low as possible because it's a Porsche. Yeah. And the Mazda, I think the Mazda like CX3 is a bit like this as well. So they've made an elevated driving position and then trying to get the seat as low as possible, which defeats the purpose of having no, an elevated no, driving Yeah. It's so like, many customers are buying those cars yeah. for the high driving position. Yeah. So if you try and make the position as low as possible, so you what's just end up where you're wearing a normal way. just make a hatch. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the other tidbit I love is that the Porsche Macan's got a dry sump engine. To lower the center of gravity <laughs> like what <laughs> what's going on build a car with inherently a high center of gravity yeah. and then try and engineer it out yeah. yeah we could have just made a lower car yeah it's um i don't know i often wonder whether the, the engineers find these cars like a really good challenge mm. or they just want to bang their heads up and bring it to the brick wall it's yep. like make this huge thing go around a racetrack yeah it's like oh crazy it's the engineers that used to work on the sports cars but they've been pushed over to work on the suv yeah. so yeah and i mean it's, it's an interesting thing like the last q7 i think drove is one of the better driving Audis in terms of uh, the way it steered it felt quite natural to drive so it's, it is interesting that and why wouldn't they you know these are big selling cars so their best engineers are probably on these projects well that's right these are the cars that make the money for the car companies mm. so you're going to put your best engineers onto them sports yep. cars don't make as much money as volume sellers like this and what do we think about the technology in this car I mean you were complaining earlier about the uh, self the lane keep assist which constantly nudges the steering whether you wanted to or not uh, and I mean, this car is the ultimate technology poster child with the 48 volt system. It's got active everything, it's got all wheel steering, it's got every driver safety. We've got a virtual cockpit here, a digital dash, and oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. But do you yeah. feel like, does this, do you find yourself using this technology and embracing it, or is it, is it getting in the way of your driving, driving experience? Uh, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. Like, obviously, this this is as new as cars get. Basically, like this this car has all Audi's latest technology in it, and I personally find myself just wanting to switch off all the assists, like lane keep assist, and like we're driving down the road at the moment on a very busy freeway, and the cars popping up telling me that I'm too close to cars in front when I I don't think feel that I am. That means uh, you're too close to the cars in front. <laughs> that's right. I can feel that it, it is like you were saying. It's tugging on the steering wheel. The, the active lane keep assist. That's really annoying. I find because oh. it's so subtle that you don't notice it. Yes, you for like, a while, and then you're like, "Why is this car? Yeah. Like, is it tram lining really that's bad right, or yeah. something?" And then yeah, so and it won't. It still won't actually. You know, if you just let go of the steering, and it's not paying attention, the system will still let you drive off the road. Yeah, so it's kind of. It's not quite. It's not quite there. Um, or like I like you, I just turn it off. So, yeah, I wish there was a button here. It made it really easy, but that's yeah. that's for people like us who are like sing, you know single percentage customers. Stubborn, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like uh, they've made this car for a customer. Do most customers who buy this car are they actually going to use this technology and get a lot out of it? And people, and it's just going to irritate people like us who would rather not have it, who are in the minority. Um, I hope that's not the case. I kind of like fantasize that um, normal people who buy this car get in and want to turn all that stuff off, but I, I don't think that's the case. Mm. Well, we haven't really come to a conclusion about the poor performance SUVs because mm. they're not really for us. I guess the conclusion is they're not really for the, the purists, but they're selling like mad, so it's not very surprising that uh, they're, they're selling them, that they're building them like crazy as well. I mean, one car that I am quite interested about, though, is the new Mercedes GLC 63, which mm. is a Merck's baby baby SUV kind of but they've put the S the C63 drivetrain in it with 500 horsepower mm. so that 
that I'm quite looking forward to it on a pure lunacy level. Mm. So for me, I guess maybe the sillier, sillier they are, the better they are. Is that is that maybe that's the conclusion to uh, the performance SUV? If you're going to be crazy, go crazy. I think so. I think you've got to go into it with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. You can't jump in one of these cars and think that it's going to be like just a larger, more practical sort of like C63 wagon. Say if it is like a um, a GLE 63, or yep. in the case like this, it's going to be like a more practical. Um, you know, RS4 or RS6 or something like that. You gotta go in thinking it's like a big heavy SUV and it's gonna be a bit pokier, a bit faster, it's gonna have stronger brakes, it's gonna have more grip. Cars like this with active roll bars, it's gonna sit flatter, it's gonna be a better car from a performance perspective. But is it still a perform is it a performance car? Yeah, that's the key issue. Well, what do you think? Are you pro performance SUVs? Do you hate them? Do you love one? Do you do you love them? Do you own one? Uh, let us know in the comments below. We'll be back with another motor podcast in the near future. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. As ever, anything you want us to cover, let us know in the comments below. And don't forget, new issue of Motor on sale now.